Welcome to Following Jesus, six Wednesday evenings once a month to practically help and inspire us in our relationship with God. When I was growing up living in Swansea, uh, our next door but one neighbour was a lady called Hilary and she was the church secretary's wife. And uh, in the old Baptist church, the church secretary, sort of important role and, and whatever. And um, uh, she'd got to know me quite well. And whenever she used to see me uh, walking along the road, whenever she saw me coming towards her in church, she would always say the same thing. She always used to say, hello, here comes trouble. When uh, I heard that her son David, uh, I used to call him Big Di, um, actually, bizarrely, he was a bit shorter than me, but um, that's a Welsh thing, Big Di, he was going with a friend, he was a couple of years young, younger than me, to watch Glamorgan play Northants at cricket in Sophia Gardens. And uh, I, when I heard he was going, I said, right, I'll come with you, that would be great, I'd love to do that, day in Cardiff. And um, I found out later that his mum's response had been actually quite telling. And uh, what she said to him was this. She said, whatever he wants you to do, don't do it. It'll be wrong. She genuinely said that. You see, being a follower is fine depending on whom you're following. Jesus' challenge to the people he met was, follow me. And he still gives us the same challenge today. And so this series is called Following Jesus. It's going to run for once a month over the next six months. Each night we will cover an important aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to cover, tonight we're going to cover worship, but on other evenings we're going to cover prayer, prophecy, our identity, what it means to be part of a community and sharing the gospel. And every evening is going to have three distinct parts. Uh, we're going to learn something, we're going to hear stories, and we're going to act on what we hear. We're going to learn something together. We're going to hear stories that are going to encourage and inspire us, and we're going to do something and uh, put it into practice together on the evening. We're recording this evening, and so for those who are actually going to be listening online, welcome. And some of the resources that we're using tonight and that you'll find in front of you, you'll be able to download from the website. So, tonight the focus of following Jesus is encountering God yourself and with others through worship. Every one of you should have in front of you tonight a following Jesus workbook. So you might want to take hold of that right now. There'll be enough there for you. There's some pens if you don't have any pens. Those are, these are also downloadable from the website. And these are yours to make notes on, to doodle on, to pass messages to each other. But they're also there to, uh, as you make notes, and you, things that stir you, provoke you, catch your imagination, they're for you to take home and to help you remember what we've learned together. Every session of following Jesus will start by unpicking a passage from the Bible and learning how we can apply it to our busy lives. And tonight we're going to focus on a verse I had read many, many times in Paul's second letter to Timothy. But I'd never really appreciated the enormity of it. 
And as I began to think about it and understand what Paul was saying, it provoked me to worship, and I trust you're going to find the same this evening. So here's the verse. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. Twelve words that will inspire us and stir us to worship. Tonight we're going to help each other learn how reading the Bible can enable us to encounter God in worship and and spur us on to follow Jesus by living lives that please him. I mean, have you ever had that moment, you're reading your Bible and you wonder what on earth it's all about? You've just read something and you think, I have no idea what that's all about. Maybe you've read a passage and within minutes, if not seconds, you've forgotten what you just read. Um, How often do you find that reading the Bible uh, results in an encounter with the living God? Sometimes? Regularly? Occasionally? Never? What is a good question to ask when you read the Bible? Let me show you what I mean. If you use the first letters of the word what as an acrostic, every time you read something from the Bible, it will help you get something fresh out of what you're reading. You're going to find that it's set out on the top of page three of your worksheet, and it's obviously on the screen behind. So, W, what was happening then? First good question to ask you, what was happening when this passage was written? H, how are things different now? How how is the world different now? Is this still applicable or not? A, apply the passage. How can I apply this to my daily life? And finally, T, today, what am I going to do in response to what I've heard? So what was happening then? Well, maybe you start off, you you, you ask the question, how can I possibly know what was happening when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy? Timothy. I mean, some of you, maybe, maybe this is uh, the first few months you've been around church, and you think, I don't really know a great deal about the Bible. Maybe some of you have been around church, it feels like all your lives, and uh, you already know the answer to the question. But let me give you some ideas. You could buy a study Bible, you could buy an NIV, a New International Version, or uh, an ESV Bible, English Standard Version. And each of those study Bibles, they contain at the beginning of each uh, a book a little explanation of what's happening in the book, what it's all about. You could buy a commentary of uh, each book of uh, the book of the Bible that you're reading. And uh, I would recommend there's a couple, Phil Moore's uh, Straight to the Heart series or The Bible Speaks Today. Depending on where you're at, if you're, uh, you're used to reading the Bible, The Bible Speaks Today is a really good set of commentaries. You could read that. That would be helpful. Um, Straight to the Heart of series by Phil Moore. 
Um, they're, they're really useful. They're really helpful. If you're not used to reading the Bible, they're really encouraging. Or you could just, a book like Second Timothy, you could just sit down with a bit of paper and a pencil and you could quickly skim read it and make a few notes about what you see happening um, as you read through it. There's a couple of resources that you can uh, get hold of. These are uh, uh, to do with Timothy. And both of those commentaries, uh, uh, links to them, will be available from the website. So what was happening when uh, Paul wrote that letter? So I want you to, in groups of, say, three, four, something like that, I want you to, for a couple of minutes, two minutes, I want you to have a chat about what you think was happening when Paul wrote to Timothy. Why did Paul write it? Where was he when he wrote it? Who did he write it to? What are the themes of this letter? So just have a, amongst yourselves, have a two minutes, have a think of that question. What was happening when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy? Okay. Just a, just a couple of minutes, okay? What I'm going to do, I'm just going to ask a couple of people for some answers. And um, what I want you to know, what I want you to know is that you may not have uh, some of the answers that other people say. That's absolutely fine. doesn't mean it's wrong. There's no uh, right and necessarily right and wrong list. Some of you will be thinking, too, Timothy, I don't even know where that is in the Bible. So I'm not going to come and ask you. I'm going to ask someone or two people who ought to know a bit better... <laughs> I'm going to talk to the two elders of the church, and so if they don't know the answer, we're all in trouble, aren't we? So, okay, what was, so what was happening? Why did Paul, what was happening when Paul wrote the letter? Come on, Rob, give us something. Well, I, I, I recall, uh, and, I, and I checked with John. Okay. <laughs> that, um, so this is one of, it's probably Timothy's last letter, uh, Paul's last letter to Timothy. So he's already written one letter, and he's, he's writing effectively the last letter he ever writes. And it's almost like his last words. So you've got to think Paul is knowing he's going to die. And these are the last things he wants to say to his, his trusted uh, follower, the guy he's raised up. And so it's really interesting to see it in that light. So well, actually, these are really important things that Paul is trying to pass on. So that's how I, okay. what, what I remember. John, do you want to add? Do you want to add anything to that, John? Well, only that Timothy, although he's younger, is clearly quite experienced leader. And he's probably in Ephesus looking after a church there. Maybe picking up some of Paul's responsibilities. So. Okay. So let me just draw, let's draw a few things. You might not have got that. You might have got something different. That's fine. The first thing that I, I just want to draw out is that there was, what was happening then, there was a godless culture. There was a, it was a world, the world around was an absolute mess. It says in uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. The second thing is that we see is that there's persecution and suffering. Paul's in prison as he writes this letter. And the other thing that, that I think is a bit of a standout is that key people are giving up. So uh, Philegius, Hermogenes, Demas, guys that were part of the team, were part of the church, committed, suddenly are disappearing. And so some of the themes that we see uh, that Paul's touching on uh, about pressing on to the end, enduring hardship, not being ashamed of the gospel. So that was what was happening then. So how are things different now? Just amongst yourself, just for a minute, just have a think and talk amongst yourselves. 
How are things different now? Is this relevant to us today or not? So are there similarities today? Well, I, I think there are. I think our culture that we live in, the world we live in, is that there's a very anti-God culture around us. There's huge opposition to the Christian church. And people seem to regularly drift away from their faith. I don't know about you, but I've watched this over the years. I've watched people drift away, and I've, I've just thought, well, how, how did that happen? Where did that come from? And so the themes that Paul talks about in his second letter to Timothy, I think are still relevant today, about pressing on to the end. And I think there's this, there's this embarrassment, there's an embarrassment with the simplicity of the gospel. What, you really believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus died on it? And he wrote something, really? I think we live in a world which is a very mocking world. So how do we apply the passage? Because we need to apply a passage like this. We need to be able to apply it to our own lives. So let's have a go at doing that together. So let's take this verse. First word, remember. What was the last thing that you forgot? I mean, we forget so easily, don't we? Yeah. Forget. Some of us forget our names. Appointments, anniversaries... Forget other people, forget their names. Apart from Jesus, okay, which is, because it's talking about remember Jesus, I, I, I want to, first of all, I want us to think about what does God want us to remember? Amongst yourself, just to, again, quickly have a, a conversation about what does God want us to remember? What sort of things does God expect us to remember? What does he want us to, to draw to mind? Okay, I'm going to ask a, a couple of people, things that you think God wants us to remember. Anyone wants to volunteer? It's, it's about remembering um, uh, what Jesus has, has done for us and about this momentary opposition that we have in, in our life, the main, uh, momentary uh, pain, the momentary embarrassment, is, is very small in the, in the bigger picture of eternity. I mean, we're talking about revelations yeah. now, and it's about knowing that Jesus, um, God has won the victory, and even in the blink of an eye that our life is so short... And yet, the eternal picture is, is a great reward that Jesus has got for us. So, That's a great answer, though, wasn't it? You know, God wants us to remember some things. And that's why the New Testament writers go out of their way uh, to talk about things like stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 1. We need to remind ourselves of the great truths of the faith. Um, part of the work of the Spirit is to remind us of what Jesus has said. So when we feel far from God, we need to remember his promise to never leave us or forsake us. In Hebrews 13 verse 5, when things are not going to plan, we need to remember his great promise that God works all things together for good to those who love him, called according to his purpose in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. So in moments when we let God down, we also have to remember that if we come to him and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to figure us. There's some things that we need to remember. And there are occasions that we need to remind ourselves of what God has said to us prophetically. There are moments when I'm struggling with low self-image and I'm feeling sorry for myself. I have to remember that God said to me all those years ago when I was 27, very clearly I'm going to be a father to you. I need to remind myself of those things when I'm battling. 
We need to remember that God speaks about us just like he does his son Jesus. This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. There are some things we need to remember. What are we in danger of forgetting? I think this is provoking. Why does Paul say, remember Jesus Christ? He's speaking to a leader of a church. Remember Jesus Christ? Surely Timothy's not going to forget, is he? Do you know what? As I pondered on that, I thought, actually, how many times do I forget Jesus? In the busyness of life, things happen. Instead of praying... I go, I'm stuffed doing stuff. And then I think, oh, I have to pray. Oh, it's, how easy is it to forget? So, Paul said to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. What do the names Jesus and Christ, what do they mean? Now, I'm going to ask Al because I heard us say the answer. So, what did he say? Saviour. Yeah, Jesus, saviour. Christ, what does Christ mean? Messiah. It means Messiah. So when we read something like this, remember Jesus Christ, you see, Paul is saying to Timothy, we're remembering a person. This is not a fact. Our faith hangs on a person. The Bible reminds us to fix our eyes on Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. The name Jesus reminds us that he's a man just like us. He reminds us of his humanity. He was just like us us. He knows what it's like to live in the world we live in, the busy life you lead. He knows what it's like to be unfairly treated, misrepresented, betrayed by friends, slandered, ridiculed. He knows. He's a man just like us. Jesus reminds us, his name reminds us of his humanity, but it also reminds us of his mission. So he's called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what uh, we're told in Matthew. And Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves, saviour. We need saving. And the Bible uses, when it talks about salvation, it talks about it in three tenses. It talks about it in the past tense. It talks about us that we have been saved. It talks about us that we are being saved. And it talks about that one day we will be saved. We need saving. We need a saviour. Jesus is our saviour. But Christ is no surname. Sometimes people talk about Jesus Christ, they think it's like a surname. No, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, it's a title. It means, Messiah means anointed one. The Messiah was God's promised deliverer, the one who would put to right all wrongs. And when Jesus started his public ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, and he told those listening in the synagogue, he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. God had given him authority to go about doing good and healing all those who are, uh, delivering all those who are under the power of the devil, destroying the works of the evil one. Jesus is God's Messiah. Christ reminds us of of the authority. That should really provoke us to worship. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. What does that mean for us? Raised from the dead. More accurately, it means risen from the dead. The sting of death has been pulled. He's been raised from the dead, never to die again. He's conquered death once for all. He's the, uh, in the Latin, he's Christus Victor. He's ascended to the Father's right hand. There is now a man in heaven there to intercede for us. The enemy's defeated, and we 
will live forever in his presence. Descended from David. That's a strange thing to write. Why does, why do you think Paul writes descended from David? Why does, why does he think that's relevant? Just a, just a moment, just have a think about that. Is anybody brave enough to volunteer uh, why they think that might be the case? Why do you think he says descended from David? Why is that important? Um, in the Old Testament, I can't think where, maybe in Isaiah, that um, the Messiah would come from David's line. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It comes from the line of David. That's what it says in, in, the, uh, in, the, Old, in the Old Testament. But one of the, the things, the, the great promises that God makes to, to King David is that he would forever provide the people of God with a godly king. Uh, who would bring the people into what they had been promised. And Jesus is uh, King David's greater son. And in Christ, all God's promises are fulfilled. We're told in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 that they are yes, God's promises are yes to us in Christ. However many promises have been, God, uh, have been made. So have a think, what promises have, has God made to you? What promises are you holding on to? Just reflect on that for a moment. It's good to reflect on these. What promises has God made to you, spoken into your life, that you're holding on to? See, lots of us have great promises. We have, we're holding on to promises. When you read a passage like, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, you, you know that actually God's given you promises, but actually there's one who stands in heaven who fulfills promises. The last phrase is this. This is my gospel. It's my gospel. It's your gospel. It's what we believe. Every day we need to apply the gospel to our, our lives. Martin Luther talked about the need to beat the gospel into our heads. The challenge is, what are we going to do with what we hear, what we've read? Here are some good questions to ask yourself when you read a passage like this. What can I thank and worship God for? What change do I want to make in my life today? What area do I want God to break into my life? And our response to this should be to worship God. We read a passage that should provoke us to worship God. Maybe uh, it provokes us to write things down and to journal what God's been saying to us, what we've been reading about. And it should provoke us to worship God in prayer. And every passage that we read in the Bible, we should be able to do the same and apply the same principles. Whether you've got two minutes, ten minutes, or twenty minutes. You can take a passage from Leviticus and you think, Leviticus, really? Oh, no, God's not going to spit. How can I worship God out of Leviticus? You read a passage, it's all about animal sacrifice. You think, how can I get... Well, what was going on then? What was, what was it all about? Well, you, just, you know that actually they were sacrificed because they, they wanted a relationship with God. They'd broken relationship with God and, and a sacrifice had to be made. How's that? Is that relevant today? Well, actually there's no more animal sacrifices, but actually our relationship with God is still broken. How, how can we apply that? How can I apply that? Well, actually we don't need animals anymore because there is one who has come from heaven, who has stood in the gap on our behalf, 
He is, not only is he the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he's our great high priest. And, and now the deal is done. We can, uh, that should free us to worship God. We can read just a simple, we can read a passage like that in Leviticus, and actually that can provoke us to worship if we ask the right questions. Here are some resources that, that I think could really help you. We've got uh, a series uh, going back to 2008. I think probably John did most of the preaching, but it's called Our Awesome God. And there's a playlist on our SoundCloud. And there'll be a link to this from the website. You can download this. You can listen to this. this can, you can use this to provoke you to worship, listening to the Word of God unpacked. There's a book there by uh, Matt Redmond called Face Down, which is about, uh, about how we should be provoked to worship. Matt Redmond is a great worship leader, but he's written a book. It's some years old now, but that will, uh, that will, th- these will be tools to help you worship God. We're going to have a five-minute break, after which we're going to hear some people share some of their stories about how they encounter God through worship. I'm interviewing um, Henrik, Becky and Colleen this evening, just asking the question about how they encounter God through worship. And they're all in different seasons of life, got very different kind of stories in a way about how they worship God. So um, I just want to encourage you to allow God to speak to you through it. I think he will encourage you in how you, you know, you worship God. You might think, oh yeah, that's the same. But also you might be provoked by something they say. You might think, actually, I could try that. Oh, that's a really good idea. So just as you're listening to them, just allow God to speak to your heart as well um, through this time. So I'm going to start with Colleen. Um, this is Colleen, and she is married to David, and they have four grown-up children. That's right. And Colleen is amazing at signing, so you might have seen her sign sometimes at church. She's great at signing. Um, so Colleen, can you tell us um, how you encounter God in worship um, during your day, and what that looks like for you? Yes. Um, there's several ways in which I worship. Um, and one way is... Um, because I just love the creation around me. And so um, quite often, um, when I get up in the morning, there'll be something lovely to look at. And that just starts me off thanking God for what's there. Um, not every morning. I have mornings when the coffee pot comes first, and <laughs> I haven't even thought about that yet. But... Um, for instance, you know, sometimes we get the most lovely sunrises and sunsets where we are. And I'm just always thrilled because God is a God of variety. And every time it's different. And I just think it's amazing that it's never the same, that God doesn't, you know, we do factory made things and they all come off the line the same. But God is, just loves variety. And I just, you know, love him for that. There's a script. There's two scriptures actually that are so they contrast so much. Um, one is in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes, and um, it's Solomon, and he's been through that bit. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, and I think he's meaning it's all meaningless. And then he says that um, that that the sun comes up and the sun goes down, and round it comes and up again. Um, And that's his take on things there. But the other scripture is in the Psalms. And and this psalmist just writes this. 
um, he talks about the, the sun coming out, like coming out of a tent, um, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy, and is rising as from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And it, those two scriptures so contrast that I never want to lose the awe and wonder at what I see in creation. Um, that's not all that, um, that I find in worship. Um, sometimes I wake up already singing a song and I've learned to go with it and sing that song a few times and just see where God takes me. And I learned something really new. It's exciting. Even when God doesn't give me a song, I can ask him for one. And, uh, and then you get one, you know. Um, so it's that and reading the Bible. And sometimes it's just dry and I struggle. But we still can give thanks. We still can pray in tongues and, and often... Something comes out of that and from Bible reading. Yeah, great. Thanks, Colleen. So it's lots of things there, isn't it? Yeah. Creation and singing songs and God giving you a song in the morning and mm-hmm. even when it's really dry, kind of carrying on to thank God. So when your husband David was seriously ill a few years ago and um, with terminal cancer, how did you carry on worshipping God throughout that time? I think um, some of you would have heard this before, but God was very good to us before that time. There was a lot that I had to sort out in my own life. I didn't know anything about him being ill. But um, God dealt with a lot of things. And then he started to speak to us both about the same thing. And um, it was from the Bible, but different passages. And it was about him being in control. And that led to a time of worship for me. Just woke up in the early hours and um, looked out at the sky and uh, we don't have any street lights where we are. Um, and so we could see all the stars. And it was just amazing to think that God made all of that. And as I thought about it, and he was in control of that, but he had control of our lives. And it just struck home to me. And that led to a little time of worship on my own in the middle of the night. And it stuck with me. So that when our lives sort of started to crumble apart um, around us, I knew that. Um, I think that comes out of worship, that you get hold of something in worship that carries you through. Yeah, yeah. just shows you isn't the importance of worshipping in the, the normal kind of life and the day-to-dayness and just how God carries on Yeah, when times are tough. Yeah, yeah it's great. Thanks, Colleen. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to yeah, um, it was two, two things that came out of, as David got sicker, um, you know, you do have low times, but two things came out because I kept reading Psalm 23, mm-hmm. um, and I read it over and over again, and God spoke to me different things, amazing, that different things come out, I know that Psalm so well, but still new things were coming out of it, and um, when I got to verse 5, um, it's, um, it's the verse that says, uh, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And he showed me two pictures. One was from the film The Zulu. And um, 
it's the end of the story. I've had never seen the whole film. I just was channel hopping and got the end of the story. And there's a sort of a, a bowl of land and a stockade in the middle. And, the, and they're all in there. The soldiers, or the few soldiers, are in there, not able to get out. And they see the enemy, just a few heads up on the top um, on the horizon. And slowly they see more and more bushes moving, imagining who's behind it, and more and more people, the enemy coming closer and closer, and then they see them on the other side, and slowly they realize they're surrounded by hundreds, and, um, and that's the tension in the story. Then God showed me a different picture, totally, a contrast, and it was something that we'd experienced when we'd been to proms in the park, and um, we started off taking few sandwiches and a flask and we quickly realized that people didn't do this they they took a table and a tablecloth and um, they put the champagne on ice and they had a candelabra and a big spread and God sort of put the one picture on top of the other for me so that the um the table was within my stockade and Jesus was preparing the table for me (laughs) and the peace and the joy of that, although everything was going on around us, that was what was on the inside. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, it's not my peace, not my joy, it's his. And that's what he showed me. Brilliant. So great. Thanks so much, Colleen. So Henrik is married and got two grown-up children. Henrik is also a consultant at Southampton Hospital, if you didn't know that. And he often is playing keys on a Sunday morning, so you might see him up here as part of one of the worship bands. Um, So Henrik, I know that you've said that worship is part of a lifestyle for you. um, And you've got a demanding job, family life, church commitments, etc., etc. So in all that busyness, how do you make it part of a lifestyle? Can you just explain maybe what you do? Where you know how do you worship God as part of a lifestyle in all of that? Yeah, I think I think the easiest way I can describe it is it's unstructured. So um, it just depends on what's happening, and I suppose what phase of life I've been through. Um, so there were times where I would get up really early, spend an hour just reading or listening to worship songs, and then going off to work. There are times where that didn't work. So I had to find another way. So the lifestyle bit is really, I would describe it as just walking, walking with Jesus, walking with God all the time. And, I mean, that sounds very, I don't know, ethereal, but, but essentially it's walking with God alongside me wherever I am. So practically, the, the sort of most um, reliable time for me is in the car, actually, so when I'm driving to work or when I'm driving back, I'm either listening to worship songs or I'm praying or I'm asking for wisdom for the day or whatever it is, you know, it's that sort of thing. It may be at the beginning of a meeting or before a management meeting or something, a quick prayer. Um, then there's often sort of periods of thanks after the meeting or after an operation, if I've done an operation, if I've done the whole list and it's gone fine, I'm relieved it's gone fine and all this sort of stuff. You know, it's a sort of, it's a constant, I'd call it an ebb and flow of that sort of walk with God is the best way to describe it. So how do you encounter God through worship? 
other than kind of in your car, putting on some worship music? Are there other ways? Yeah, it's, it's I mean, sometimes it's just, I mean, I'm very privileged because I can, you know, I've seen the inside of all of you in some sort of way, if that, if that makes sense. You know, and, and I've operated on tiny, tiny babies and, you know, that is just awesome. You look at them and it's fully formed and everything's beautiful in there. So, so I just worship in that setting, even though I'm doing an operation. I know it sounds weird, but... Um, or, or even in times of crisis, when there's a family crisis going on in the hospital with parents and kids and things, when that resolves or the situation gets sorted out, then I end up worshipping. It's a sort of spiritual thing. Um, so it's, it's that sort of thing. It's just giving thanks. I mean, I'm a bit like Colleen. I love the countryside. You know, I do a bit of exercise every now and then. I crash on the bike, and that's fine. But, you know, it's just looking at the beautiful countryside that we have and just, and just opening up in praise and thanksgiving when you just see that. Um, those are some of the things. You know, Steve was talking about reading scripture. Well, sometimes I read the Bible and I just praise as a result of reading what I've read um, because of the truth of what I've read that counteracts all the sort of untruths that you hear day in, day out. Um, yeah, that's how it works, I think, for me. Great, great. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of how you encounter God, the how, the where, the what? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, again, I wake up at night and I think, I, ha- I have this sort of, life goes on and we're all going on through our daily lives and we all do our bits and so we're not always, and then sometimes God sort of does something and I'm sort of getting more and more attuned to God just sort of stopping me at odd moments in funny ways. So I may wake up at night and I'm thinking, okay, why am I awake? And it's not because I'm thinking of work or, so I then ask God, why have you woke me up? If that makes sense. And then he may give me a picture or something. Um, you know, when I had my bike accident, I was lying on the floor in a bit of pain. I thought, okay, Lord, what's this all about? You know, what, what, what is this chapter of my life now going to be about? What, what's going to happen type of thing? So it's a sort of something odd happens, I immediately ask God what's happening. And that way, to me, that's also worship. That's sort of walking, walking with Jesus. Great. Thanks so much, Henrik. And Becky... So Becky is married to John. John sometimes leads worship on a Sunday morning up here. And they've got four young children as well. Um, So Becky, can you tell us how you encounter God through worship and how you find time to do that with four young children? Because obviously life is very different for you. Yeah, right. So um, this is something that I've really struggled with, especially um, in the early years of parenting. And I've tried all sorts of ways to facilitate time with God. So I've tried the whole right. Well, I've got small children. There's no way I can be expected to be spending time with God. I'll just try and fit it in here and there. But of course, what actually happens is it just goes out the window. And actually, that really then affects your life. You're not so patient. You're not um, noticing opportunities to talk to your friends. I've tried combining it into a chunk. So I do all my quiet times in one big chunk once a week when John goes out or once a fortnight. Um, But again, that wasn't very helpful on a day-to-day basis. It was lovely at the time. And I didn't also feel it was very honoring to God. Um, And I kind of felt him challenge me, do you know what, Becky, you make time for what's important to you. You've got time for your crafty activities and my sewing machine, and you've got time for your housework. Where's your time for me? Um, So then 
and also, you know, actually any season of life, it's hard to make God a priority, isn't it? Whatever season of life I'm in, I think it's always going to be tough. So then I tried getting up at the crack of dawn. Um, well, crack of dawn is like 6.30 in my mind. Um, so I tried that, and that was terrifying, and um, I just couldn't sustain it. I would sit there, these like sort of bloodshot eyes from being up in the night with a baby. I'd reread the same passage of scripture and mumble a quick prayer and it just felt like I wasn't connecting with God at all but I saw real fruit from it because my mind was on Jesus from the beginning I found that I was more likely to be praying in the day I was more likely to be noticing opportunities to talk to my friends and then I really felt God challenging me again look Becky I want you to put me before my your housework I'd become my mum do you know if my teenage self could hear me saying this they'd be shocked um so I'd become my mum. Totally, I could find all the time for cleaning the floors and all this, that, the other. God is saying, put me first. So this is how I do it. When I get back from the school run at nine o'clock in the morning, my head is full of a list of everything I want to do today, how many wash loads, what's for tea. That's when I spend time with God, when I'm raring to go with everything else. So I will start with, um, excuse me. I'll start with reading the Bible. Now, I love reading the Bible, but I'm like the person who goes to the pizza restaurant and orders the same dish every single time. I won't touch the Old Testament with a barge pole because I don't really know what it's talking about quite a lot of the time. Um, And I love all the letters, so I read all the letters or perhaps a nice psalm. So for me, I have to have Bible reading notes, otherwise it's all the same. And these Bible reading notes must not say the date at the top because that just brings guilt, okay? They must say day one, day two, day three, and then like a whole 365 days of the year book can last you three years. It shouldn't, but it can. Um, So I'll do that. While I'm doing this, Joshua is playing on the floor, or I'm kind of trying to play with him, because I still have Joshua with me. And then I'll put a worship CD on, and I'll pray, I will sing, I will pray for my neighborhood, I'll pray for my non-Christian friends, I'll declare stuff over my village, I might prophesy. All this is sounding great, isn't it? Sometimes it's like chewing on cardboard and I'm thinking, I'm knocking on the door of heaven and God's gone out shopping. Uh, Or the other morning, Joshua's trying to shove a plastic caterpillar in my mouth the whole time. Um, But I find if I press on, even in those times, even if it's right at the end, I will connect with God. I will meet with God. When you push at his door, he will always open it. His uh, door is always open for us. Um, So I'll do that. And I just do that for half an hour. So nine till half nine. And I find just with that small chunk, I can think, okay, I'm still going to have time for my jobs. I'm still going to have time for them. But actually, that changes my whole day because it puts my day into perspective. Instead of being about jobs, it's about God. And um, I feel a lot less stressed if my house is a mess because I think, well, I've been worshipping God. And by the end of it, you know, at the beginning, usually I come reluctantly, if I'm honest. By the end, I reluctantly go to do my housework. And I'm more likely to be singing as I go. I'm more likely to be praying as I go along. And I'm definitely more likely to engage with my friends about Jesus when I meet with them. So great. Thanks for being so honest as well, Becky. Um, so you've got four young children. How do you encourage them to encounter God through worship? 
So obviously, um, the difficulty of being a parent is that you're responsible for not only your walk with God, but also your child's walk with God now in the present, but also into the future as well, kind of making that a priority for them. So I've put various structures in place, which I'll tell you about, but I just want to make it clear that these structures are there to serve me, not for me to feel guilty about it when I drop the ball with some of them, which I inevitably do every week. So, first of all, in the morning, we'll have breakfast together. Sometimes John's there, sometimes he's not. When we finish breakfast, we'll do Bible reading notes with the kids. So they do their tops. Sometimes God really speaks to me as well out of that. Um, And then on the way to school, we'll pray. I'll pray, you know, for the kids. And that's just, that is quite a quick thing. So I'll walk to school, is very quick. But any worries they've got. Um, Worship happens incidentally if John gets out his beloved guitar. uh, We might all have a sing-song. Or one of the kids might put on a CD or I might. The other morning, Tom put on one, which was, it was totally God. It was all about, you know, nothing is impossible for God. And Katie was really worried that morning. So we sort of danced around and that really helped. Um, John's got this policy that there must only be Christian music in the car. So we're all forced to worship in the car. (laughs) In a lovely way. We love it. We love it. Um, and sometimes I put Christian music on at night for them. And then also, and I think this is one of the most important things, it's certainly um, what I remember most about my childhood, is that verse in Deuteronomy 11 that talk about God um, as you walk down the street. Talk about him when you wake up. Talk about him when you lie down. And I will talk to my kids about God all the time. I'll talk to them about stuff that comes from the Bible. I'll talk to them about what God's saying to me. I'll talk to them um, about uh, arguments for and against Christianity. We'll talk about what other people believe. We'll talk about euthanasia. We'll we'll, uh, um, discuss abortion. All these things are actually going to come up so quickly in your child's life. Um, Thomas already debates with his friends at school about um, arguments for and against Christianity. So we also talk about how to be grace-filled as you disagree with people. Um, And I think that's really important. But it's easy to feel overwhelmed as a mum, isn't it? There are so many things to fit into your kid's life. I mean, if all I had to do was teach them how to be worshippers, that would be easy. But, you know, we've also got... Well, I won't even list all the other things. Um, But my comfort and my challenge is that ultimately our children will be influenced by and remember how you love Jesus, how we love Jesus and the difference he makes to our life. And we can have all the structure and law in place that we like, but if our children don't see us having a passionate, life-changing relationship with God, how on earth can we expect them to cultivate it in their own lives? That's great. Thanks so much, Becky. Um, So you've talked quite a lot about just now about your children and encouraging them to worship God and and you on your own at home. Um, But on a Sunday morning, we come together as a church family to worship God. So how do you then engage yourself in worship when you've got four children as well? Sometimes John's leading worship and not with you and... How does that work for you on a Sunday? Okay, mums. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? Right, so you get up in the morning on a Sunday. You've had no sleep. Your baby's been up in the night. I'm, t- I'm thinking of a time when I had a toddler and a baby here. Um, my husband's gone off to church to lead the worship. And you struggle to get your kids out the door. You're like lugging a suitcase along full of everything you're going to need for the morning. The nappies and the wipes and the snacks. You arrive late and really, quite frankly, frazzled with this teething baby who you forgot to give cowpole to. And um, the worship's already started. Your toddler's trying to run off down every aisle and down that ramp when they're not even supposed to be. Uh, your baby won't be let down. He, you know, they're crying. And uh, then your toddler has, has an argy-bargy with someone in the next row. And, and then when the um, 
person gets up to do the notices and they say it's time for the children to go out, you think, oh, hooray, you just want to jump up and like cheer. <laughs> then, you, then you take your, um, your toddler to preschool and your baby to crèche, but your baby won't be left, so you stay with your baby, but you can't talk to any other mum because your baby's being really grisly. Then you go and pick your toddler up from preschool and the leader says to you, I'm really sorry, Becky, but they've been awfully behaving, they've been going around hitting everyone. <laughs> and you think what every mum thinks in that situation, why did I bother coming? Why? Um, and I want to say to you, if you're in that situation, it really, it does get easier. And it's, <laughs> and it's good to push on. You know, we need to worship God. God deserves our worship in every season of our life. So it's easier for me now, even though I have four children, a toddler, a baby that wants to shuffle off at every occasion, a five-year-old who, um, for him this setting of church is really overwhelming on a sensory basis. He just wants to to do this and put his fingers in his ears. And two children who I desperately, older children, who I desperately want them to engage with worship. How I do it is this. I come determined that I am going to meet with God. No matter what happens, no matter what distractions, every little second I get to fling my arms in the air and praise God and pray out, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it with both hands. And actually, we are corporately responsible for how our meeting goes on a Sunday morning. And I don't just mean that verse about, you know, we all bring a word, we all bring a song. I mean that our attitude changes the meeting. If we're all walking in, ready to meet with God, desperately wanting to engage with him, our worship is going to look a lot better than we're all dragging our feet, thinking, oh, great church again. Um, So I come like that. I'll pray in the car on the way here. I will desperately try to be patient with my children as I try and get them out of the house. Um, I try to be uh, on time. Um, And on the way, I'll tell my children their expectations, which is usually this. My older two, I expect them to sit and sing or stand and sing for four songs. No um, looking at books, no snacks. Um, And if you look at them, you can't really tell they're singing. They're sort of mumbling along. But, you know, it's a journey in progress. Um, My five-year-old, he just has to not moan for four songs. He just has to sit there. (laughs) And um, my baby, as long as I can keep him on my hip or in the buggy, we're okay. When he starts shuffling off, lucky Marion the other day, you saved him from ruining someone's guitar, didn't you? Um, And every opportunity I get just to worship while I'm looking at them, I take it. And they know mummy is going to have minimal interaction with me. This is not the time to tell mummy a great big story. Mummy wants to worship. She loves me, but she wants to worship. Um... I think that's all. Oh, and I do find sitting at the front really helps me personally to engage with it. I know we can't all sit at the front, but I also try to sit away from other children because I find that that minimises distraction. If I've also got to manage my children arguing with other children, then that's not good. So that's how I do it. Thanks, Becky. Thanks for being so honest and open. It's so helpful. So helpful. And so we've just heard, haven't we, actually, time in God's presence, worshipping him, looks different for all of us. It looks different for these three and for all of us here. It looks different in different seasons of life and at different times. And I just want to encourage you to find the way that you encounter God best, whether that's singing, praying, drawing, whether that's speaking your worship, whether it's putting on a CD, listening to a better worship set, maybe it's singing out your own songs, looking at creation like Colleen was talking about. 
I know somebody else in church will go out and take photos. That's part of their worship. It might be going on a walk, singing on a piano, drawing, dancing. The list is endless, isn't it, of how we can connect with God and encounter him through our worship. Whether it's using a Bible passage, a verse, a psalm like Psalm 24, whether that's at home, in your car, when you're out walking. There are so many different ways that we can encounter God throughout our worship. So just a question for you just to think about is how do you worship God in your own times with him? And what can you do to increasingly connect with God in your own heart as you worship him and encounter him? So that's it. Can we just thank these guys for sharing about their worship? They've been brilliant. Thanks so much. That was excellent, wasn't it? It's great to hear stories and uh, people's own stories about how they encounter God. So now we're going to... We're going to put this into practice together. So the band are going to come up. We're going to spend uh, around 20 minutes before we finish worshipping Jesus. During this time, we're not expecting any contributions. Tim and the band are just going to lead us. And during this time of worship, here is a couple of practical ways that we can remember Jesus. You may just want to sing the songs. That's absolutely fine. But also there are, in the Bible, there are loads of names of Jesus. There are many names of Jesus. So remember Jesus Christ. The names, there are over 200 names of Jesus recorded in the Bible. And uh, Jesus is uh, the anointed one. We're told there's no name under heaven and earth by which people can be saved. He's been given a name which is above every name. And on your table you will find there are some sheets which... uh, in the shape of a cross, and on that there are loads of names of Jesus. You may want to use that to help you worship. You want to take one of the names. If you just want to focus on one, there are yet some slips of paper that you can take hold of these that has this one. This one has the anointed one. No one understand this. It talks about the anointed one, Jesus. On here, each, each one of these has a verse. You might want to take that and use that as part of your worship tonight. You could do something like this at home. You could take the names of Jesus and you could take one name every day for a month, just for a couple of minutes and just worship Jesus. As well as this, over here on my left, your right, there is some bread and wine. Whilst we're worshipping, you may want to worship Jesus by remembering him by breaking bread. You may want to do that with someone else. You may want to do it by yourself. You may just want to sing songs. You may not want to do it. There's bread and wine. If you want to remember Jesus as we worship by breaking bread, you are welcome to go and do that. It's one of the best ways that we can remember Jesus. Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. You remember uh, the two on the Emmaus Road. They're dejected, disappointed. They've uh, lost their way. They're going away from Jerusalem. And then they, that Jesus walks alongside them. They don't even recognize him. They don't remember him. <laughs> They've been with him and they don't see him. And then when he breaks bread, they remember him. They go, oh, was, oh, do you remember how our hearts are burning? Maybe you've just been going through a difficult time. Breaking bread is a great way of remembering Jesus. You can do that on your own. In the week, once a week you could break bread on your own in part of your worship. Take some of the names of Jesus, worship God. We're going to do that together tonight. Why don't you take some time now to worship Jesus for yourself? You can download the names of Jesus from our website.